it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Welcome to session number one of Investing for Beginners. Today we have Andrew Sather from eInvesting for Beginners. How's it going? I'm Andrew Sather. I originally founded the Money Tree Investing Podcast. That is a podcast that is still going strong. Uh, I've also founded eInvestingforbeginners.com. The whole mission of this podcast that you're listening to right now is just to make it really simple. Basically, I got into the market at a young age. I was fortunate to do so, but I looked around and I didn't really see anybody walking beginners step by step. So that's kind of the approach I'm taking with this podcast and with the website I have to really be that guide for investors. And so that's going to be the focus of myself and my co-host here, Dave. Dave is the founder of IRAforbeginners.com. He's also an avid value investor, has been blogging and has some fantastic content on his site. Thank you, Andrew. So again, my name is Dave, and this has been a great journey. You know, I, I got into the industry working through the banking industry, and the reason why I started doing what I was doing was A, to help myself learn, but B, also to help other people to learn. It's something I see on a daily basis is there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have nothing, 
nothing set up for inv- for retirement. And they have not thought about it. They don't know where to start. And they're just paralyzed because they don't know where to start. And I thought that my experience could help people learn to grow and start to invest to try to save money for their retirement. And I think Andrew and I are going to be helping. Try, that's our mission here is to try to help people learn. That's what we're here for. And, you know, of course, you're... You have a little bit of a rock star background. <laughs> uh, you could uh, jump on stage one time. Didn't you? <laughs> if need be, yes, if need be. We're going to be talking to a friend of ours, Mason Crutchfield. Mason is a newer investor, and he's got some great questions for us. And we're going to chat a little bit, go do a little back and forth, and see what we can do to help him learn a little bit more about investing. So with that, Mason, why don't you go ahead and ask your first question? Okay. First thing that kind of came to mind after getting the spreadsheet and kind of digging into some stuff myself was once you do make stock purchase, what's the protocol for monitoring that stock after you have it? Well, I mean, all you got to do is just sell at the top. That's it. Okay, I'm joking. (laughs) Obviously, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, This is one of the questions, you know, Everybody has it because it's one of those things either, you know, you buy the stock and either you sell too soon and you start regretting it or, of course, you sell too late and you lose a lot of money. It's really tough and there's a lot of different philosophies behind it. Like I kind of joked how, you know, you just want to sell at the top, but honestly, a lot of investors try to do that. It's like this this whole growth philosophy that you can somehow, even if a stock is expensive, buy it and be able to sell higher. Um, That's another discussion for another time. But let me talk about what I do to monitor my stocks. I basically break my portfolio up into two parts. I do a regular portfolio, which tends to be, I, want, I don't want to say speculative, but I give myself a little bit of a cushion to take a little bit more risk. So what I'll do is put a 25% trailing stop in on those positions. Are you familiar with the trailing stop at all, Mason? Yeah, I did see that, and I, I did notice that they charge you a little bit more on Trade King to put that on your orders. But yeah, I do understand that you said do kind of the percentage one because that will move with it. And if the stock ever goes up and then suddenly crashes, it'll sell your stock before it goes below a certain is a threshold you set for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the the basic premise of it is that you're trying to catch that momentum and you're letting your winners run, cutting your losers short. And so you're able to ride with the stock and then as it starts to come down, then you activate the sell. What I do is I keep my trailing stop and I record it myself. So I actually use Yahoo Finance and you can set up an alert to have Yahoo Finance email you whenever a stock drops below your trailing stop. So you can just go into Yahoo Finance, update your trailing stop, have them notify you and then make the sell yourself, and that way you don't have to be charged by Trade King. So that's that's what I do for a part of my portfolio, and that's, again, I, so I'm trading in a Roth IRA, um, so my tax implications aren't stringent. Basically, I can sell as soon as I want and not get hit by taxes. That's not the case with a regular brokerage account. So a trailing stop strategy added to your positions will help if you're in a Roth IRA. The second category I use for my stocks, I call these dividend fortresses in my e-letter. Basically, they are companies that I'm looking that 
have very strong fundamentals. Uh, you know, we're talking about balance sheet, income statement, all that kind of stuff. I want to see growth, and then I also want to see a strong dividend, a strong history of a dividend, and a strong history of growing that dividend. And so, what I do for my dividend fortresses is I'm in those for the long term. So the market could crash tomorrow, and I'm still going to hold those on because I'm not counting on trying to buy and sell for a profit. I'm counting on owning the stock. For 10, 20 years, collecting the dividends and understanding that the market will rise over the long term, and that's how I'm going to make my money on these stocks. So the only time I will sell a stock that's in my dividend fortress portfolio is I will analyze them, reevaluate. I don't know once a year, or I mean, I guess a good time would be to whenever the annual reports come out. But the only time I will sell in a company like that is if I see major red flags. So if they ever cut the dividend growth. If they ever really raise their debt levels, or if they have a year of negative earnings, that's when I'm going to sell out. And I don't worry so much about maximizing the profit because I know the longer that I hold, the more it will compound and the higher returns I will have. Okay, that was kind of a, basically what I thought would be the one way to monitor stocks after purchase, kind of. When I would run a spreadsheet, maybe set the date that their report kind of comes out every year, and if it was something that I owned or held, I could go back in, and that would alert me to maybe go ahead and run their VTI again and see if anything was a red flag to me. Yeah, most definitely. And you know, we're talking about the VTI. It's my value trap indicator spreadsheet package that I offer. Be just because if you recheck the VTI in let's say a year, and the VTI falls out of the strong buy range. That doesn't necessarily mean you should sell it. You know, it, it could mean that the price went up, and so the valuations went higher. You already own the stock, so you don't care. You're actually getting those gains yourself. So I wouldn't sell just because of that case, but more so focus on yeah, like a huge spike in VTI from like let's say 250 to 800. Yeah, that's troubling. Okay, but again, it has to be based on. A fundamental part of the business, and not because the price skyrocketed. Okay. And I also wanted to add something, kind of to kind of tag along with what Andrew was saying. Going up, a lot of people don't talk about when to sell the stock, and that's kind of a tricky thing. And being a value a value investor, I'm looking to hold it for a long time. And I don't, I personally don't split my portfolio like Andrew does. I think that's a great idea that he does it do do it that way. I look at every stock that I pick as something that I'm going to hold for a long time, and the trailing stops are kind of key for me. And I did the same thing that he does. I have Yahoo Finance with an alert, so that if I'm not paying attention to it, it's not going to catch me off guard. You know, checking it every year is a great thing to do, but the stock market can be kind of a, a difficult animal, and if you're not paying attention, you could get burned pretty bad. And so, having something like a trailing stop, having an alert to tell you when the trailing stop is going to be activated, is a great thing to do. Another thing that I would also kind of add on to as well is the thought of not actually putting it in the market and doing it yourself manually is going to save you a lot of money, which is something you could use to buy more stocks. So, Trade King is a great company, but let's not give them any more money than we have to. Just thought, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I guess Andrew kind of mentioned it with his split of his portfolio, kind of into my 
next question would have been any kind of outside research. I know the main focus of this, the VTI, is to kind of get behind get behind all the what they're saying on TV or writing articles about and get into a company's numbers. But I guess maybe is that kind of something you do in that 25% speculative that you do, you maybe not so much tied to the VTI? And Dave, I guess in terms of all, not split at all, is the VTI, is that kind of all you go off of? Do you do any anything else outside of crunching the company's numbers? No, you know, with the with the way I look at things is, you know, I use the, the VTI numbers as a guideline to look at, okay, this is something that I'm interested in. And I'll look at it and I'll go, okay, this is a company that I've come across when I'm screening for companies. I'll use the VTI numbers as a way to help me find a company that I'm going to be interested in. Once I find that, I will never, ever, ever, ever buy anything just off three or four numbers. I will start looking at the 10Ks, the 10Qs. I will read Enos reports. I'm a huge fan of Seeking Alpha. If you're not familiar with that website, I spend a lot of time looking at the Enos reports that they read on there. There's some awesome articles on there by people that are professionals as well as people that are not professionals that have great insights, pick up on a lot of great news and things of that nature that can help you give a, a better idea of that. Another thing that I do is I will watch the news a little bit, but frankly, I don't watch the news a lot because most of it is loud talking heads. And they're they're paid to be controversial. They're paid to be loud. They're paid to make people make decisions. And your job is not to make a decision. Your job is to think about what it is you're looking at and make a rational decision as opposed to an emotional decision. And that's one of the hardest parts of investing is not to get freaked out when things are going great and when things are going bad. It's to be calm in rough waters. And that's the hardest part. And so the looking outside, I'll do things like I'll look at outside, you know, if I'm looking at a company, for example, Trinity Industries, which is a a company that specializes in making railroad cars. I looked at railroad um, publications that talk about the industry itself. Uh, One of the main ingredients in their production is steel. So I started reading reports about the steel industry and how it's made and it's a commodity and how it's traded so I have a better idea of what's involved with the company. And so it's not just about the four numbers. That, to me, is the starting point and it's a great reference point to give you an idea of what to look for. But beyond that, you know, I start looking outside of that for other resources. And I'm sure Andrew has a lot of great other ideas as well. Yeah, well, definitely, you know, you're modeling your approach after one of the greats. You know, Warren Buffett's a guy who spends hours of his day, still does this to this day. He'll spend four or five hours just reading. And a lot of that time, he is reading the 10K, which is another uh, word for the annual report. And, I mean, it is daunting because you can pull, you pull it up at sec.gov. Every company files it, and you pull this thing up, and it's like a 100-plus page Word document. But to your point, once you start getting comfortable and you start just maybe start on Seeking Alpha, maybe start reading an an analyst report or two, start to understand what the lingo is, and then you can start to identify what sections of the annual report are really common along a lot of different companies and industries, 
and you can kind of springboard that and start to see, okay, how can I help make this help my approach? Personally, for me, I am the type of chef who will eat his own cooking. So what that means is all the stocks I buy are all a value trap indicator strong buy. That being said, what I will do when I'm approaching analyzing the company, I will screen just like Dave was talking about. I will screen using numbers first. After that, I look at the value trap indicator, get see if it's a strong buy signal. And then from there, I actually take it a step further and I want to look at earnings growth. Something I don't really hear anybody talking about. Benjamin Graham, one of the greats, he mentored Warren Buffett. He mentioned, it was kind of like an aside in one of the chapters of his book, how he looks at earnings growth over a very long period of time. So I'll look at it. You know, you talk about the talking heads on TV and they'll look at a stock and look at the earnings for maybe a year or even like quarter over quarter. Very short term type of earnings focus. And I, I, I expanded out to 10 years. So my VTI number will calculate and give you a value based off of three years of data. It's a three-year average. You need five years of data to make that happen. Sounds confusing when we talk about it, but you know, if you see the numbers, you can really figure it out. I see Mason, you're, you're, you're shaking, yeah. you're nodding your head. You're like, yeah, I got it. But basically, also I'll take the VTI a step further and I will look at companies with really great earnings growth over 10 years. So I'm telling you, you can find companies out there, and I recommend these in my e-leather. I've found plenty of them so far. I'm talking about companies who grow their earnings 17% over 10 years. That means like, what is that, like 170% over 10 years, 17% a year. A lot of these companies that grow that much over such a long period of time continue to grow. And I've done some research on some of the big success stories of the last 25 years. And a big common characteristic of those is that they had this type of earnings growth, not just one year, not just two years, not just five years, 10 years of over 12%, 15% earnings growth year over year over year. And that kind of compounding just gets me excited. I'm stoked. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. That's what I look for. Okay. So I guess I kind of feed off Dave of what um, kind of seeking out for doing any kind of other research, but Another question I kind of had was, it does take a little bit of time to run the VTI initially. Is there anything you knew use? I know, Andrew, I think I watched one of your videos one time about finviz.com where you can set some metrics on some ratios and numbers for a company. Is there any, any particular way that you try to come up with a company? I know there's tens of thousands of companies that are traded or whatnot, just anything that maybe could limit that field down to pulling up the 10K and filling out the spreadsheet. So when I'm looking at FinViz, I'll be honest with you, Andrew had a great book, Seven Steps to you know Mastering the Stock Market. Understanding. Understanding, it. sorry. Mastering understanding. He didn't read it very well. He just glanced <laughs> at it. I actually have read it many, many times. I use the metrics that he talks about in there as a starting point for screening through FinViz. So something that I do, kind of a Monday ritual for me, is every Monday morning I will pull up FinViz and I will go through the numbers that Andrew outlined in his ebook, And I will use those as a starting point to look for companies to see to start digging deeper to see if it's something that I would be interested in in buying either now or in the future. A note on that, you know, as you're going through these, you know, having watch lists, you know, I create multiple watch lists of things that I'm looking at. So if it's something that maybe is out of my price point right now or if the, you know, the values, the numbers on the stock are maybe not quite in line with what I'm looking for, and maybe it's a little bit overpriced, but I think it's still a good company, I will wait for the prices to drop on that. So I'll set up a watch list of things that I'm looking at, but maybe I won't pull the trigger on. The, the kind of the further delve into what you were asking about, with FinViz, you know, once you start using the criteria that Andrew was talking about in his ebook, you will go from those 10,000 stocks down to about, depending on the time of year right now, everything's going crazy and the stock market is really up, so there's going to be a lot fewer opportunities. But when, you know, about a year ago when the market was not doing as well as it is now, there were maybe 30 or 40 stocks that you could look at. You'll notice when you're doing that that some sectors will start to pop out at you. For example, oil or financials the last year or so have been beaten up a little bit. So those would be, you know, companies that you could start looking at. Does that kind of answer the question you're looking at? 
That does, and that in part leads right into another question that I had about specifically the oil industry running multiple DTIs on that and seeing where a lot of the the big hitters in that, I guess, have a BTI that would signal a strong buy. Is there any strategy into picking one or if they're all below or they all with the green light to go? Um, is that where kind of I was talking about the research, you know, kind of do a little bit more digging? And is, is there anything else that should be looked into that if you see a lot of buys in the same sector, really? Yeah, so the thing with sectors is you'll see them go in and out of favor. Oil companies in particular haven't done so hot the last couple of years. It kind of lagged while the rest of the bull market's gone right ahead. So that being said, this is like a common thing. You will see this tend to happen. You could, I guess, I don't I don't want to say you want to diversify and let's say, oh, there's five companies here, I'm going to buy all five. That's probably something I generally wouldn't do. More to what you said, I would probably try to find the one or two that I really favor. When you buy a company or a stock, you kind of, if you think about it in a certain way, you're kind, you kind of are buying that industry. I'll give you an example. One of the stocks I owned, I think I recommended it February 2015 in my e-letter, something like that, and it went up 50 or 60% in a very short time and um, they ended up doing like a stock split and so it ran up a little bit higher than that and since then it's kind of come back but it's still a really nice return when you consider when I bought it. When when Hormel went up, this is the ticker HRL, not only did they go up but their main competitor Tyson Foods also saw a very similar uptick in their in their stock price. So with that being said, like I wouldn't worry so much about finding the best between like let's say you have a group of five i wouldn't try to stress out pull your hair out and be like oh man i can't decide which one's the best here i would try to you know obviously they're all showing the same thing in the vti so the vti isn't helping you there the vti is leading you and you gotta make the choice make the decision after that i would look at you know am i favoring a, a certain valuation right now for example I, I keep the approach the, the same whenever I'm investing. I'm always using VTI. It's, it's basically buy low. It's this idea that you can get a discount to the intrinsic value of a company. That is always part of my strategy. But I also, I guess, diversify the strategy in, in the sense that sometimes I'm more focused on finding a discount to book value. Sometimes I want to find a discount to earnings. Sometimes I want to find a discount to sales. So when you have a different focus, maybe you can look at a company that's fulfilling that for you. Maybe you've bought a lot of companies that had really great PEs. Now it's time to get a company with a low PB. Another thing is a lot of the stocks can have a very similar VTI, but there could be a vast difference in one specific thing. Something like a debt to equity ratio. If one company has a really low ratio compared to everybody else, I'm almost always going to take that company because that that seems to be the lower risk. And again, I, I go back to the earnings growth. You want to have valuation, but the importance of valuations is you have to get growth with it. As long as you're getting that growth, you, you have to see a track record. You have to see a trend. Look for that. And then, again, you have to think about the dividend, too. I would prefer to get a company that's 
even if the dividend's less, less of a percentage, if they have a longer track history of raising that dividend, I want to get in on that company. I wanted to okay. uh, kind of tack on a, a little bit about that too as well. Warren Buffett said diversification was for the weak. And basically what he meant by that was is that he didn't worry about sectors. He worries about buying the best company that he can find. That's the bottom line. Really what we're talking about is, you know, when you're looking at buying a company, you're buying, you know, you're buying a piece of that owning, owning that business. And, you know, think about, do you want your family to own this business for the next hundred years? And so whether it's Exxon or Chevron, or, you know, or, you know, NOV National Oil Well Varco or Halliburton or you know, any of these companies that are, you know, are being talked a lot about now, you really want to look at, okay, you know, the sector was beat up for a while and there were some great companies and there were some great buys, you know, a year ago. And now with the oil starting to go up, some of the prices are starting to creep up again. And so the valuations on some of those companies are starting to eke up a little bit. And I want to echo what Andrew was saying about the dividend and the, the debt to income, you know, the debt equity ratio. Chevron, for example, one of the things that they've been doing because they've been struggling, they're one of the companies that have been paying a dividend for about a thousand years. It's not a thousand years actually, but it's, you know, it's been a long time. But one of the things that they've been doing because the the price of oil was so low was really, really hurting them. They've been borrowing money to pay the dividend. And that's not talked about a lot. And with the interest rates now starting to creep back up, the Fed is talking about raising the interest rates three times this year, maybe four. And over the next two or three years, they're talking about raising them six to eight times. What that means is that the money that Chevron has borrowed to pay that dividend because they wanted to continue paying that dividend for their shareholders, it's kind of a little bit of a fool's game. Because they paid that dividend, they borrowed money to do it, the interest rates are going to go up, which means that money is going to get more expensive, which means that it's going to take away money from their earnings, and it's going to take away from their growth that Andrew was talking about. So, you know... I'm not trying to pick on that company in particular. I think they're a great company and they have a lot of great stuff going on with it. But when we're talking about digging into the numbers and kind of looking at the whole picture, those are the kinds of things that you need to kind of pay attention to and look for when you're looking at making a purchase on a company. You know, any of the companies that you're looking at that are coming up and uh, strung by and Andrews are not going to be dogs and they're not going to be, you know, you're going to make a good choice with any of those. So like he's saying, don't, pull your hair out. You're young, you got a lot of hair, don't lose it. <laughs> you know, it, it's not worth it. Um, you know, any choice you make is going to be a good choice. And, the, you know, the great thing is, is that, you know, investing is not a, it's, it's a game that if you make a mistake, you sell the company and you buy another one. I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, as long as you don't put your whole fortune into one company and you lose money on that company, you know, if you own, you know, multiple stocks, if one does poorly, you sell it and you move on. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just that simple. So it, it's not worth getting an ulcer about. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And so kind of, Leading off that again, I know you said Warren Buffett said diversification is is what did you say it was for the week? Yeah, so I kind of had a question on 
if you should try to get involved in multiple sectors, if there's a certain amount of sectors you should. So that kind of cleared that up on really if it's just a good company, it's a good company. I'm, I'm going to take my uh, my bow and arrow out and shoot it across the room because <laughs> I, I don't agree with that at all. I know a lot of value investors hold true to that, and it does work for a lot of people. Personally, I want to stay diversified. Um, I am not so irrationally confident, I guess you would say. I am that way for sure, but when it comes to investing, I'm humble enough to understand that even though you can find great companies at a great price, um, putting too much percentage of a portfolio into one or two can really hurt you over the long term. And my whole strategy is all about limiting the losses. That's how we're going to find success is by limiting losses. So diversification is a great way to do it. I obviously don't want to over-diversify, but at the same time, I don't want to lose 10% from one, one, you know, 10% of my portfolio because I have a stock that dropped 50% or anything like that because those type of things can happen as well. Yeah. As far as, you know, being diversified over sectors, uh, we kind of covered it a little bit, but I do want to be diversified across sectors. I don't want to have 10 oil stocks make up 50% of my portfolio. You want to have maybe a nice balance of, of stocks that do well when the economy is strong, balanced with a group of stocks that do well no matter what the economy does. You know, tobacco, people smoke tobacco no matter if they're unemployed or if they're at a party. So, you know, tobacco companies, when they're at a, trading at a great valuation, can be a good buy to counterbalance something like a retail stock where people only go to buy when they got money falling out of their pocket. That said, I also disagree with the idea that you need to hit every sector or anything like that because just as we were talking about, different sectors will become more attractive and less attractive based on where the price goes and how the market treats them. So you want to get into a sector when the individual stock is cheap and not just because you want to increase exposure to that sector. A sector like BioStock today, um, I'm definitely staying out of that because all those stocks are just outrageously priced. The, any sector that's hot, new, trendy, like just came out last year and everybody thinks they're going to change the world, those have historically always done bad and I expect them to continue to do bad. The internet stocks of the 2000s, back when railroads were like the greatest invention ever, same thing happened with those stocks. So... It really, we always come down to it's all about the numbers, all about the numbers. You don't have to worry about staying away from these hot, trendy stocks because their price will already reflect it. So by using evaluation, you will automatically be avoiding those type of traps. Okay. And I, wanted, I guess the only other thing. I'm sorry. I wanted to, I wanted, Go ahead, Dave. I wanted to throw okay. one little thing on there. I agree with what Andrew was saying. I guess my, my point now is not making it very clearly was that I will not buy a stock just because it's in a sector and I want to have that sector. You know, I agree with what Andrew is saying and not having 10 oil stocks or not having 10 bank stocks. And, you know, I will look at companies based on the company. I don't 
try to, I don't have like a checklist of, okay, I want to have seven sectors and I want to have a company in each sector. I will just look at the companies that are being presented to me at that time and decide if that's something that I want to buy. There's a period of time, the the, the market will go in ebbs and flows. And the thing we got to remember about the market is it's, it's a, um, in the short term, it's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And that means that in the short term, like Andrew was saying, everything is hot and everybody's going to be super excited about Tesla or Uber or whatever the company is. But then over time, the things that are boring, like American Express, Coca-Cola, Chevron, you know, some of these companies have been around forever. Those are the ones where you're making the money. You know, yes, you can make money into going into short-term things, buying in and out, but that's that's not my thing. That's not what I'm interested in. To me, that's more speculative. And I guess so the diversification game can be something that, you know, I think you have to be careful about just buying something because you want to plug it into the technology sector or you want to plug it into the education sector or the oil sector. You know, companies will be presented to you based on the program that Andrew has that will give you indications of these companies are great buys right now. Buy it and move on. Yeah, I wasn't trying to say that you'd be the type of person to do that. I think we all know, obviously, you're better than that. (laughs) Thank you. Kind of along those lines, I mean, the way I'm going to go about it is, you know, a set amount of money every two weeks, I'll put it into my account. And so the first thing, I've only got two companies right now, but the first thing I've kind of realized is that you put, if you're doing it on a bi-weekly basis, you're not going to have, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars every two weeks to put in. And so I guess if I were to grow and have lots of companies, I'd have to choose, you know, this week, buy some of this, this week, buy some of that. Is there kind of a, any limit on how many companies or minimum amount of companies you think that someone should have regardless of sector? Yeah, I love that question because um, I was just in that position a couple of years ago. When I launched my e-leather, I was going from the ground up and the, the basic premise behind that was I was opening a Roth IRA and I'm personally contributing money to this. And so, I mean, this is my life savings and we're just going to follow the journey. So obviously, when you have a limited amount of capital and you're first starting out, you're, you're not going to have $10,000 to be able to say, okay, I'm going to put two grand here, two grand here, two grand there. You have to kind of build up that diversification over time. And because we know, I'm assuming you're in your 20s, Mason? Yeah. 23. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, you got, you're way ahead of the game. I mean, you got 42 years before you got to graduate, retire. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the point. You can retire a little early. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the goal. Amen, bro. Um, so, so, anyway, um, yeah, you got so many years that maybe having that first year where you're just establishing a base of diversification, that's not going to hurt you because you have a very long-term outlook. So what I did was I had a small amount of capital. I was investing it every month, and I was just putting all that capital in one stock and then adding to another stock. After, I don't know, it's been two and a half years, maybe three years now, now I'm getting to the point where I'm hitting a limit where I don't want to be too over-diversified. So to answer that question, my diversification target is 15 to 20, kind of like my answer for all of these questions have been. There's one extreme, there's another extreme, Andrew is somewhere in the middle. So you got the Warren Buffetts 
who say, you know, have your 10 stocks, you know, watch that basket closely. You have the other extreme where there's people saying, oh, I'm going to buy the ETF, I'm going to buy the whole stock market, there's 500 positions, or some people who say, get 50 positions. I think that's too much. Research has shown that there's like a graph of how your risk lowers with each position you add. So obviously when you go from one to two, the, the lowerance of risk is huge. And then as you get more and more, it kind of curves off. And when you hit around 20 to 25 com- uh, companies, it really saturates and adding another position doesn't really make you any more diversified. If anything, it hurts you. If your primary goal is to beat the market, the more you go over 25 positions, the more you're just going to return what the market's returning you. So in order to try to beat the market, you have to be a little bit less diversified than the market. So that's why I, I, I try to stick between the 15 and 20. I'm not perfectly diversified in the sense that I have a 5% position sizing across my whole whole portfolio. You can absolutely do that. I have no problem with that. I think it's a great idea. I tend to uh, weight my dividend fortresses a little bit more. Those tend to be a little bit bigger of a position in my portfolio than the others. You can call that stupid, irrational. I don't really care. I'm going to take a little bit of risk with those companies and just see what happens. I'll, I'll, throw my uh, two, I'll throw my two cents in on that as well. I'm going to echo what Andrew was saying about the the amount of companies, you know, I, you know, when I started doing this as well, I didn't have, you know, $20,000 to throw into an account and start buying this, this, and this, and this. I had to work at it gradually as well. What I did was I bought one company and I, you know, I put money into it and I kept putting money into it until I found something else that I liked. And then I bought that and started adding to that as well. And so dollar cost averaging is definitely something that can help and can work. Studies have shown that, you know, there are some advantages to it. It's not a panacea. It's not perfect. But it's it also does help kind of even out some of the ebbs and flows of the, of the market. And just because, you know, you don't have to be in a rush to get to that, you know, 15, 20, 25 companies. You know, the reason why I like to stay with that is because I'm not as smart as Warren Buffett. I'm not as smart as these people. And for me to read through these you know, annual reports every year takes time. And so, you know, having a lot of companies, you know, having 50, 100 companies, trying to keep track of all the financials of all those, I'm not smart enough to do that. And so, you know, I, you know, I try to stay within my circle of competence. I try to stay within, okay, I can handle these. I can handle this. So, you know, having this amount of companies that I can look at and keep track of and feel comfortable with, you know, because they're going to become friends of mine for a long, long time, hopefully. And so I want to know how they're going to work. And so, you know, having a small group of friends, you know, that I can rely on to me is an easier way to go. I guess that's kind of my thought on that. Yeah, that's well said. All right. That's really kind of all of the, I guess, deep, thoughtful questions that I have. The other, I have two other questions kind of that really are just on the surface, making sure one thing about the VPI, the net cash, I guess, row on the annual report is the best one to use for that, what's titled end-of-year cash and cash equivalents. Yep, that's the one I use. There's a lot of different valuations for the cash flow statement. You have people who talk about discounted cash flows, uh, free cash flow, all these kinds of things. 
the only one I'm looking for is just as long as they don't have such a negative amount of like as long as they're just not spending all of their cash and there's just no cash to show for it because you can have great earnings but if you have no cash on the on the cash flow statement that shows that something's kind of off and they're possibly manipulating numbers in order to make their earnings look really nice. So when you talk about some of the other valuations that the VTI and I'm sure you've read the book Mason, you know I yeah. explain it in the chapters about what's important. The price to cash is in there more as like a safeguard than it is like okay I'm going to get a really low price to cash and get a really like great return. It's more of like a let's make sure that that picture isn't terrible, so we're getting the complete picture. Okay. The the only other question that's kind of on my mind right now is, you know, back on, you know, I'm doing the bi-weekly thing, and, you know, find two, three, four shares here, this and that. When you, it does come time and you do sell a stock, you're not paying a commission fee on every little trade that you made. It's, if you had built up, thousand shares of a company but you did that you know 20 shares per time when you sell all a thousand that's just one trade correct yeah okay that was just each each buy it doesn't matter how many shares you do so each buy order and each sell order is just one commission and um i'm glad you you're using trade keen that's the one that i promote on my site they are the lowest commission broker and they've been absolutely fantastic for me and highly recommend tracking. So there's their level endorsement. I would echo yeah. that as well. They're, they're awesome. Their customer service is great. The website is great. It's super easy to use. Yeah. They have lots of great valuation, you know, metrics as well that you can look into as well there. So it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a great resource. I use them. I like the low commission. They actually have a, a thing where you can get a certain amount of the free commissions to be begin with. So I'm still kind of in that trying to, use whatever I can on that. But it's been very good so far. Awesome. Does any does all that make sense? Is there anything uh you need further yeah. clarification on or feeling a little sense. bit better about it? Yeah. Got some notes down, I feel a lot better about it going forward and do a little bit more research and stuff when I find a company that is a strong buy and kinda having to go throughout the time that I hold that company is really the main focus I was trying to to get because I kind of jumped in real quick and found some that I thought were good and they've done good in the short term but I just kind of realized you know this is a long term thing and that's my whole reason for getting in is the long term is just kind of how to manage those over that same time. I'll tell you this I think you're absolutely on the right track and I see no reason why you won't be very successful doing this. Going this far and this in depth, you're asking great questions. I see you taking notes. It's obvious you're comprehending and really picking it up really quickly. You'd be surprised that there's a lot of people out there who just they, they they're like, just give me the the right stock or you know, tell me what to what's buy. the secret? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not the right mindset, but it's obvious you have the right mindset. You've got time on your side. And you know, I'm I'm excited for you. It's going to be fantastic. Yep, I, I would yeah. agree. Yeah, you're you're. If I could clone you and send you out to the world, Mason, I would. This is it was huh. it's awesome. I mean, you got you got a great head on your shoulders, and you're definitely doing the right thing. You're on the right path. I I applaud you for what you're doing. Well, thanks. Y'all, y'all really cleared it up a lot because you know, like it really is difficult when you say, "All right, I want to start this." You start 
looking at stuff and you can be reading bad stuff, wrong stuff. You have no idea which way to start. And my dad's always said the biggest thing is, is just starting, getting your foot in, and get, using that time, compounding interest to your advantage. Exactly. All right, Mason. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. We had a lot of fun, and we will catch you guys later. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.